0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Joy Gruitz. Good morning. I can honestly say I am glad to be standing here before you. And it is my intent, God willing, to remain standing. (laughs) As uh, Pastor Tyler mentioned, we are in the middle of this series called The Hand of God. And Pastor Tyler kicked off this series when he reminded us about God's hand to save us. And last week, Pastor Tony encouraged us as he reminded us that God is a God who protects us. He is our shelter. He is our place of refuge. And today, we're going to talk about God's hand of power. Because God's hand of strength, his hand of power, those attributes of God of strength and power are truly amazing. This is why we declare that our God is not only omniscient, all-knowing, and that our God is all, that he is omnipresent. He is present everywhere, but our God is omnipotent. We have a God who is all powerful. And you know, as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a day when I witnessed the hand of God's creative power on display. Joe and I had been traveling up north and we were on our way to Petoskey. And I can remember one of the first times we came across this community called Bay Harbor. It's a small little village that's located on a five mile stretch of the shoreline of Little Traverse Bay that opens up to Lake Michigan. And it is this upscale enclave of multi-million dollar homes. It has a luxury hotel, there are restaurants, there are there's even a secluded harbor with multi million dollar yachts and sailboats. And when you look at this community, all you can think of is wow. But it was especially a wow moment for Joe and me because we knew what this shoreline at one time had looked like. At one time, it was a limestone quarry that was, um, also had these like industrial buildings, and it truly was an eyesore on this beautiful stretch of shoreline on the bay. And here now, because of someone's vision and a whole lot of money, what was an eyesore was transformed into this place where you just say, wow. And so we decided, it was about afternoon, it was getting to be evening, that we would drive up to a higher point where we could just kind of overlook the whole complex. It would be, we'd be looking to the west. And so as we were looking at all of these beautiful manicured, multi-million dollar homes and the luxury hotel and the secluded harbor as we looking over this beautiful complex suddenly our eyes went beyond the complex because the sun was setting on the bay and in that moment the rays of that sun began to paint these beautiful hues of red and pink and orange in the sky and then the waning rays of the sun began to just caused there to be like shimmers of light across the bay and we didn't say wow we just stood in awe at the beauty of what God had made and then if that wasn't good enough we turned and because the sun had set we turned and there was the rising of a harvest moon you know a harvest moon is that huge moon that cream colored moon and again we were amazed at the power of our creative God to bring the natural beauty of our world together. You know, in the opening chapters of the Bible, in the very first verse, it records God's hand of power as our creator. It states that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that even his very spirit hovered over the earth that was this empty and formless mass enveloped in darkness and deep waters. And we read in Genesis 1:3, and God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Ten times in the first chapter alone we read where it says God said, and what God said came to pass, which is why we read in Isaiah 53, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word has power. And when his word goes forth, it accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. And that was so true of creation. For look what it says in Psalm 33:6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Isaiah confirmed this when the Lord spoke to him, saying in Isaiah 45: It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained all their host. The complexity, and the beauty of our world, and the mind-blowing expanse of our universe, and the degree to which it is all perfectly fine-tuned together so it sustains life here on earth, reveals the strength and the power of our almighty God. It reveals the strength and power of his intelligence, the power of his creativity, and the power of his word and his will to go forth and create and execute this grand design of our universe and our world in that universe. But our God not only has the power to create this world that is beyond our comprehension, He also demonstrates his power as he intervenes in the lives of men and women, especially when they're in that place of adversity. And one of the most inspiring accounts of God's power to intervene in the lives of a people is the account we read in Exodus. We read about a people called the Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. You see, these Israelites were the descendants of a man named Joseph and his extended family. You see, Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. And Joseph's family had entered Egypt as honored guests because there was a famine. And the Pharaoh at that time so valued Joseph that he invited Joseph to have his family come and stay and be safe in Egypt. But as the years passed. And what Joseph had done for Egypt had long been forgotten. And the population of the Israelites began to overwhelm the population of the Egyptians. Suddenly there were restrictions placed upon the Israelites living in Egypt. And restrictions soon turned into bonds of slavery. And so over 400 years, these Israelites endured the harsh treatment of being enslaved in Egypt. And they had no hope of relief. Because you see, they were slaves. They had no no swords. They had no weapons. They had no battle skills. There was no way they could lead a revolt to free themselves from this bondage. You see, Egypt was the strongest military power in that region. So these Israelites had no hope. They were powerless in their situation, but in their powerlessness they cried out to God, who is all-powerful. And he heard their cries, and he chose a man named Moses to be the one that God would use to demonstrate his power to deliver them from this most impossible situation. And so these enslaved Israelites, over a period of 40 to 50 days, they witnessed the power of God to bring deliverance to them. You see, they saw the power of God to visit 10 plagues upon Egypt that would bring that mighty country to its knees. They watched as the power of God turned the Nile River to blood, as a plague of frogs filled the land and even the homes of the Egyptians. They witnessed how people suffered from boils while the Israelites remained untouched. They saw the plague of locusts and hail decimate the crops in Egypt. They witnessed the power of God to cause the land of Egypt to be plunged into darkness for three days, while where they lived in Egypt, there was light. And then they heard the deep wails of the Egyptians when a plague of death was visited upon the Egyptian firstborn. And after that tenth plague they watched in amazement when Pharaoh finally said that the people of Israel could go free. You see, these Israelites experienced the awesome and powerful hand of God to deliver them from the most impossible situation, and they didn't have to raise a sword. They didn't have to fight a battle. In fact, when they left, they left with the riches of Egypt. But on the night before they would be released from their bondage, God gave to them some very specific instructions to follow. He said they were to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and they were to slay that lamb and drain its blood and then paint that blood over the doorposts of their home so that night when the plague of death would come, it would not touch their firstborn. And then they were to take the meat of that lamb, and they were to roast it, and they were to eat it with unleavened bread, because this would be their last meal, this would be their last supper in Egypt. But this meal that they were eating, this very specific meal of roasted lamb and unleavened bread, this would not be, this would be a meal that they would not just eat once and then forget. This was a meal that they were to eat every single year exactly at the same time. For look what God gave to them as instructions in Exodus 13. It says, This is a day to be remembered forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today the Lord has brought you out by what? The power of his mighty hand. Again in verse 13. God said, now this ceremony, this Passover meal will be like a mark branded on your hand or on your forehead. It is a reminder that the Lord's what? Mighty hand has brought you out of Egypt. God was very clear. Every year... Every time they ate this Passover meal, it was to remind them of the powerful hand of God to bring them deliverance. From generation to generation, they were to teach their children why they were eating this meal. This is why we're eating this meal. It's reminding us of the power of our great God, that there is no situation for which it is impossible for our God it is, he, is, he is so powerful, there is nothing too difficult for him. Amen. But it seemed like this generation of Israelites had an extremely short memory. Because when the Egyptian pharaoh realizes that he had just freed his slave labor force, he changes his mind once again. And with the power of his whole army, he pursues the Israelites And when the Israelites realized that Pharaoh has changed his mind and they can see him in the distance and they realize they are camped with their backs against the Red Sea and there is no bridge to cross, there's no flotilla of boats that can ferry them across, how do they respond? With desperation and with fear and with panic. They go to Moses and they say, Moses, we should have never left Egypt. We may have been slaves, but at least we were alive. They responded with hearts full of fear. But in their desperation, God was faithful yet again, and he responds with great power. For we read how God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And when the last Israelite reached the other side of the shore, they were amazed as they saw the walls of that water collapse on the mighty army of Egypt. And in Exodus 15, this is what we read. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. And read this with me ready your right hand Lord was majestic in power your right hand Lord shattered the enemy and then they go on and they sing 12 more verses (laughs) they have 12 more verses extolling the power of God but just as that Passover meal was a meal that was to be celebrated every year to remind them of God's power so too was this to be a song of deliverance That every time they sang this song, it was to remind them of God's power. You see, whether they ate that meal or sang that song, they were to teach their children and their children's children about the power of God. So that whenever they faced a situation, they could remember what God had done and rely on the power of God to meet them in their need. But you know what is so difficult to understand when you read the account throughout the book of Exodus is how this adult generation that came out of Egypt continually struggled with putting their faith in our all-powerful God. You see, throughout the wilderness, whenever they faced adversity, it was always, we should have never left Egypt. It was never, well, look what God did for us to bring us out of Egypt. You see, they always seemed to sing a song of complaint instead of a song of deliverance. They would sing a song of despair instead of a song of remembrance. And as a result, that adult generation missed out on the honor of being the generation that would fulfill the promise that God had made to their forefather Abraham to occupy the promised land. They could have been that generation to fulfill that promise, but they failed because they always were doubting the power of our all-powerful God. Yet throughout the history of the Israelites even though it's filled with these accounts where they would forget what god had done for them there must have been some who did remember because centuries later we read about a song leader a musician named asaph asaph was a musician during the time of king david and king saul and he had he had written 15 of the 150 psalms that we have in our bible and there's one psalm called psalm 77 And when you begin to read this psalm, Asaph reveals that he is in a very desperate place. He opens up the psalm where he says, I am am in such a deep place that I am too troubled to speak. But then he finds his troubled voice, and he begins to express some questions. In verse 7, he says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? We don't know what's going on in his life, but we know it's something big. We don't know if it's a personal problem or a national crisis. But this man is in a difficult place. He is in extreme anguish. And he begins to cry out with doubt and desperation. So what does he do with this doubt? What does he do with his despair? Look at verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appear, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. You know what Asaph does? He remembers, he considers, and he meditates on the good works, the good deeds, and the miracles that God had done what? In the past, long ago. He looked to what God had done to give him the strength of faith that God would help him in his current situation. So, what does he remember? What does he look back to? Look at verse 16. The waters saw you, God. The water saw you and ride; The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water and the heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What did he look back to? He remembered the great miracle that had been done for his people when they had been in bondage, in slavery. He remembered what God had done. He considered, he meditated on that and that gave Asaph the strength to once again believe in the power of our God to intervene in his situation. See, when God first met Moses at that burning bush, Moses had questions And one of the questions he said is, God, what name am I going to tell your people when I go and tell them that you're going to use me to demonstrate your power to deliver them? Because Moses knew that the Israelites lived in an idol-worshiping country. Every, Every god had a name. And so Moses says, what will I tell them? And this is how God responds. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It is so significant that when God revealed this aspect of his name, he says, my name is I am. You know, I am is a present tense designation. It's a present tense designation because we have a present tense God he isn't just a God of the past. He is a God of the present. And God's name has not changed. He is still the I am. This is why we can embrace this psalm. In Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength a very what? Present help in trouble. That means when we are facing adversity, when we find ourselves in places of doubt and despair. Maybe we can identify with Asaph when he's just feeling too troubled to speak. In those moments, we can remember, we can consider, we can meditate on the things that God has done. We too can look back to the miracle of the Red Sea, and from that miracle, gain that strength of faith to believe that our all-powerful God can move on our behalf But we're not limited to just remembering the miracle of the Red Sea. We can look to the Old Testament, it's filled with miracles. We can look to the New Testament at the miracles of Jesus and the apostles. And every miracle documented in the scriptures can be that which we can consider and meditate and remember to strengthen our faith to believe that our God is still a God of great power. But you know what? He doesn't want us just to remember what we can read in the scriptures. God also wants us to remember, consider, and meditate in the ways in which He has moved and intervened with His power in our lives and in the lives of those that we know. You see, it doesn't have to be a physically dramatic miracle like parting the waters of the Red Sea to be a miracle. That encourages and strengthens our faith in times of trouble. You know, we don't need always to have a jaw-dropping miracle to know that God is our present help in trouble. You see, if God's hand of power has been demonstrated in your life or the life of someone you know, By bringing about a healing of restoration in a relationship between a parent and a child, a husband and a wife, sibling to sibling, friend to friend. If you know that there has been God's hand of intervention to bring about that restoration, that's a miracle to remember. If you, yes, praise the Lord. If you are someone you know has experienced Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, deliverance of an addiction, deliverance of iniquity, deliverance of a destructive habit, that is a miracle to remember. If God has intervened with his hand of provision, maybe you were in a financial need and you can point to the moment where God supplied that need, that's a miracle to remember. If you have a job and you know the job you have where you're employed was an open door, that God's hand was in it, that's a miracle to remember. Amen. Amen. You see, sometimes we overlook those moments. That moment where God protects us in an unexpected way. Maybe we've been in a car accident. Cars total. And we walk away with barely a scratch. Sometimes people say, oh, that's You're just lucky. No, I say it's God's hand of protection upon us. And you see, sometimes, sometimes it's only as we look back after having gone through a difficult situation that it's then we can see God's fingerprints all over what has just happened. You see, whether it's a grand miracle or one of those intimate, quiet miracles, when we find ourselves in that difficult place by remembering, considering, and meditating on what God has done for us or for someone that we know. Those feelings of discouragement and despair that sometimes make us too troubled to speak, those feelings can be replaced with a confident hope and trust in our present tense God. He is still the great I am. Now when Asaph wrote this psalm, he just didn't write it for himself. After all, it's called a psalm. A psalm was to be, re, to be recited aloud or it was to be sung. It was to be a public remembrance. He just didn't write it in his own journal and keep it to himself. He wrote it to be shared, a public remembrance. Why? Because he wanted Psalm 77 to be a psalm that would encourage us as we remember and consider and meditate on the great things that God has done for us. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that can help someone today who identifies with the discouragement of Asaph. To do something that reminds all of us that our God is still a present tense God and he does move with his mighty hand and touch our lives today. Because in just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you who have experienced God's powerful hand of intervention in your life to share it. But not by coming up here. Not by coming to a microphone. I'm simply going to ask you to stand. That you would stand as a testimony that God's powerful hand still moves today. And that by you standing, it would encourage someone who today is going through a difficult time and needs to know that. They read the Bible and they say, yes, those, those are great miracles, but I need to know that he's still doing them today. And so I'm gonna cite some specific examples of the way in which God intervenes in our lives. And so here are the stipulations. is you or someone you personally know. Not, a, not something you've seen on the internet. Not something you've heard second, third, fourth time. But when you stand, it's something you personally have experienced or someone you personally know. And here we go. Number one, if you have experienced or someone you know experienced where God has intervened with that miracle of restoring a relationship, would you stand? Church, look. He's a present tense God. Would you stand if you have experienced, you have experienced God's hand of healing, physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual healing. If there's a miracle of provision, he supplied a need and you know his hand was in it. How about a hand of protection? Hand of protection. Amen. Raise a hand. Some are you, you're already standing and you've got more. You got more. Church, look, look, look. Our God is a present tense God. Now our worship team, everybody stand. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to sing this song, To Good To Not Believe. It was written by um, four songwriters. One is Cody Carnes and Cody Carnes was giving an interview about this particular song, and there's a part of this song where <clears throat> they list in the lyrics these miracles of God. And he said, I want you to know that we just didn't write these lyrics because it would sound good. He said, every, every miracle we list in this song, one of the four songwriters personally experienced. So when we sing this, Understand, when we sing these lyrics, we're singing it as a song of remembrance. We're singing this song as a testimony to our present tense God, who is the great I Am. And so, Darlene is going to lead us in this song. Open up your hearts. Let it be sung as a song of remembrance, acknowledging our great I Am.